Reservoir of these great ancient songs that we get to share together. If you would please uh, find your way to Luke chapter 1. That's going to be the first place where we're going to do a little bit of extended reading here. And I said a moment ago, you might just want a little piece of paper to, to scratch down the references that I'm going to look at. I'm going to try to get through these uh, texts today, and there's more than three or four, so that's not always easy to get through all of them. But Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38 is where we're going to start as we we begin, a, a hopefully, a really sweet meditation on the, the true meaning of the birth and the life of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so from Luke chapter 1, verse 26... It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, just pay attention to the next few phrases here. He says, You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, or of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, this is an amazing reply on her report. Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Her response is quite a bit different than Zechariah's response, isn't it? Luke begins the, the facts of his gospel. We have the four gospel writers. Luke begins his here. God's Word is God's Christ revealing testimony and truth, assuring witness, truth assuring, fact assuring, details and issue assuring witness of all who would listen. This is what God's word is to accomplish in and for us. Truth in Christ. I'm going to emphasize the word truth for a moment here. Truth in Christ is the means that men will find their way to God the Father for salvation. Truth in Christ is the means. It is the way. John 
recorded in 14.6, John 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to the Father except by me. Truth in Christ. God's truth is the means that men will escape slavery and heartache of sin. All of us have known some of the slavery effects of sin. All of us have known some of the heartache effects of sin. God's truth is the means we will escape this tyranny of sin, whose ultimate end is your death and my death. The truth of God in Christ is the means that we would escape this slavery. Christ prayed in John chapter 17, verse 17, Christ prayed, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Lord Jesus intended that the men and women of faith would be set apart to God and himself by their knowledge and confident belief in the truth of Christ. It's a glorious prayer there in John 17. Christmas is never mentioned in the Bible. And so I would challenge your use of that word. As, as Christians, we are lovers of truth. We, we build our confidence and our hope around truth and the truths of Scripture. Christmas is never mentioned in the Bible. And today, however, we will wonderfully meditate on and remember the birth of the Lord Jesus. So I do challenge all of our use of that word. It comes into our language all the time. It's almost like we can't help it. It is what we call it in our culture. But the roots of the word and, and the, 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 the origin of the word is really makes it a, a, a non-Christian reality. It didn't really even come into popular use in Christianity until the ninth century. That's almost a thousand years of Christian history before that word. And, and even celebrating the birth of Jesus became a big deal to Christians. But today we will remember the birth of the Savior. It is a glorious use of our time in thinking about and remembering the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ because it assures us, it shows us with an amazing demonstration of God's power over time, God's power over time and God's favor for all who would believe Him and His Messiah. It sets an unbreakable precedent as well. What I mean is, is as we study the, the events surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus and what happened, it sets a precedent for us to anticipate what lies in the future of the world. If we get that time and history and circumstances were in complete obedience to God the Father in bringing about the events that, that lead to the birth and including the birth of and then the life and the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if we believe that these things had been ordained by God, revealed by the prophets, then we understand that this sets a precedent. And the time that remains in this world for you and I until the end of the age has similarly been foretold. If we understand that the certainty of the coming of Christ and the details of the coming of Christ were laid out by God well before they came, if we get that, then it gives us a special comfort and confidence as we think about the future of God's people 
and his intended second coming. We're going to think about the witness we have considered in Luke and Matthew. We're going to look at them first. We're going to look for a moment also at John's. And so we're going to look at how do the gospel writers introduce the birth of and the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. They refer to prophecy and they refer to the events that surround the coming of the Christ. The days of Christ's birth are really unique. The days of Christ's birth are special because they are a mine and a well of God's fulfilled prophecy. The prophets spoke about and wrote about so many incidents and details surrounding the person in the life of Christ. One of the uh, one of the statistics I read said that the odds of all of the prophecies coming to pass in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this number? Three hundred and fifty six million to one odds that such a thing could have happened. That's like pretty much impossible. But all of these prophecies were given to men, and especially you and I who would believe, so that we know God orders everything that is going to come to pass before it comes to pass. It's so that we would know God rules all things even before they come to pass. The coming of Christ by God's Spirit creating the miraculous conception of Mary was foretold by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7. He says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Bethlehem is the place of the birth of the Messiah was foretold in the book of Matthew in chapter, I'm not Matthew, Micah, chapter 5. Micah foretold that Although Bethlehem was a little bitty insignificant place in the land of Israel, out of you will come forth one who would be ruler of my people. And it even says he has been coming from everlasting, uh, uh, a tip of the hat to the eternal life, the eternal deity of the Lord Jesus and Matthew says over and over, as Matthew unfolds his gospel account of the Lord Jesus, he says the phrase, in order to fulfill. Over and over again, Matthew says, this happened in order to fulfill what had been written in the prophets. So, when Matthew says, for example, that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem because of the census, and then he says, this took, order, this took place in order to fulfill what he's telling us. And I've said this to you guys many times. Time obeys prophecy. So that men have the witness of histories obeying prophecy. So that you and I know God rules all things in all times in every way. Unfolding history happens in obedience to God's prophetic words and it witnesses to God's unequal and matchless power fulfilled prophecy is a utterly unique reality of the gospel and of God's offer of life to his people is is sealed it's witnessed to by this powerful witness of of prophecy Matthew 1:1 1, 1, 
makes a reference and connects the birth of baby Jesus as a son of Abraham and a son of David. Matthew introduces his gospel in the light of both David and Abraham being related to the Lord Jesus. And these are key elements in the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God's promised seed, which is what the promise was to Abraham. Abraham would receive land, seed, and blessing. And so when Matthew says he comes as a son of Abraham, those who knew the scriptures, those who knew what had been prophesied and what had been promised, immediately are alerted to this fact. Abraham was promised a seed. In the line of David, David is promised that from his line, in his lineage, would come one who would rule. David was promised that a person in his line would be born and would rule forever. Another little, little, little tip of the hat there to the deity of the one who would be born in the line of David and rule forever. Luke 2 speaks about the shepherds. Luke 2 and 11 speaks about the shepherds. These, these early testimonies, these, these words about the announcements of the birth of the Lord Jesus include the shepherds in a field who are told that they are going to go and meet God's Christ. Think about who it is in this culture. Think about the people who are given this invitation by an angel of the Lord. Luke 2, 11-15 says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. I've never been a shepherd. I've never been a cattle rancher. But shepherds live a little bit of a stoic life there. In the fields, and they're not particularly wealthy people usually. But they're given this announcement, they're given this invitation, and they're told, There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. How many is in a multitude? I got an idea. It was a stunning number, a staggering number that the shepherds were aware of, maybe simply by the sound of it or maybe by the sight and the sound of it. Very memorable and notable. And the heavenly host there was praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord had made known to us. The days leading up to the birth of the Lord Jesus were, were full of very remarkable uh, Angelic visitations and events warning and preparing people that, that John the Baptist was going to be born and that the Savior was going to be born. Matthew noted the child's lineage. Luke tells us some of an angel's testimony and the baby is identified 
that he is going to be born in the city of David, the great king of Israel. They're also told that he is going to be a savior. How many of the shepherds knew that this was meant to be salvation from their sin? Some of them would have. Certainly not all of them. Announced a baby in David's city, a savior, Christ. The word Christ is the Greek equivalent of the word Messiah. And the Jews were looking forward to the coming of Messiah. And it's a word that means the anointed one. And Greek was a much more common language at the time when the Lord Jesus is born. And so this word Christ is the Greek equivalent of that word Messiah. And so the Christ was being announced. He's also identified as the Lord. And this word always means master. Now, at, at times, uh, 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 a man in his home is called the master. And at times, uh, a king is called a master. In the biblical use of this language. The birth of Christ and the, the events leading up to the birth of Christ were a prophecy-fulfilling flood. Things like this, where he was going to be born, whose line he was going to be born in, his status at his birth, and who he was in reality. He was really a carpenter's son. He wasn't born of, of a, a king by their lineage. He didn't take a throne when he was born. He was born a poor man. But the scripture prophesied this. Matthew and Luke mention a number of different people who would come and hear and worship the baby Jesus. The shepherds, for example, we know they came to worship him. The magi are another group of people who went to go and worship the baby Jesus. He didn't, they didn't arrive the day he was born. They came after he was born. But the magi are these people from the east over in Persia. And on the eighth day after his birth, which according to uh, Jewish custom, on the eighth day after his birth, there's a man named Simeon mentioned in Luke chapter 2 and verse 29. Simeon meets Joseph and Mary as they're coming into the temple, which is in Jerusalem. And listen to how this man greeted the newborn baby, eight days old. Simeon in Luke 2.29 says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, which means he's quite elderly. He knew his days were few. And he, he meets this little baby with his parents. He says, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The birth of the Lord Jesus and the work and life of the Lord Jesus was by far the greatest moment in history of the world to that time. It was an incredible 
bringing together of streams of prophecy. Matthew 2 and verse 16 says that Herod heard of the coming of this baby king from the Magi. And from what he learned from them, he wanted, he told the Magi he wanted to go and visit the baby. He wanted to go worship the baby. But his plan was to kill the baby. And when Herod learned that this baby was to be born in the area of Bethlehem, he had all the children who were born within a certain frame of time, within a certain window of time. He had all those children killed in that region because Herod feared he was going to lose his throne and his authority by the birth of this king. Those who believed and anticipated the coming of this Christ, they believed God's favor for his people, they anticipated and they waited for God's fulfillment of these things. They believe in peace, they believe in joy, they anticipate in expectation. And the unbelieving fought and resisted and denied. Christ is called a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I dare say that it's very likely that the words of Christ, if you were to sit down and read one of the Gospels this afternoon and tomorrow, the words of Christ would likely offend you one or two or three times. Sometimes he is offensive to us. It's because our flesh resists being told that we're wrong about something. Our, our flesh doesn't like being called out. Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And when you stumble over him at first, you are meant to get up you're meant to repent of your complaint and you're meant to know him as Lord and Savior. You know, the baby was born with a mission. This baby teaches us to know. We are to know and we are to know and we are to know. The scripture teaches us so many things to know. To know and believe what God reveals is how we become His people. To know the Lord Jesus, to believe in the Lord Jesus, to know what He has said and to believe what He has said is what makes us His people. And that's why the Scripture makes no small light of hypocrites. Many people enjoyed to listen to the teaching of the Lord Jesus, but they would leave and go do their own thing. The baby came and was born with a mission. Why did he come? And who is he actually? Why did he come? Who is this one who was born in a manger? Matthew 1, we're going to now look at Matthew's testimony for a moment. Matthew 1.18 says, and I'm going to read a, uh, an extended text. Matthew 1.18 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Isn't it amazing how God sends his angels during this period of time to make sure the appropriate people knew what they needed to know? The angel comes and speaks to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For, now listen carefully, this is an important sentence here. It says, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, now here's what the prophet said, and this is out of the book of Isaiah in chapter 7 and verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now Matthew 1.23 makes this reference to what the prophet had said, and now this, the, the, the book of Isaiah is, is at least 700 years prior to the birth of the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 7.14 says, and I'll just quote it for you, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we're continuing to develop why did he come and who is he? God's people who know him and believe him are taught to anticipate who is going to come. God tells us what the future is regarding the Son and regarding redemption so we will not be caught unaware. God's Give The thing he gives is a sign, is what Isaiah said. Isaiah 7.14 The Lord himself will give you a sign. The Lord Jesus is a sign. The sign is a birth of a virgin. A child with two names. Who is he? What is he? He's a child born to a virgin with two names. Jesus is one name, and that name is significant. The name Jesus means he will save his people from their sin. What is his mission? To save sinners. And what is his other name? His other name is Emmanuel. What is it to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, whose name is Emmanuel? What is it to celebrate this birth? Of this one who is born of a virgin with two names. It means the sign has been given. God has evidenced to his people. He has evidenced to people who don't yet believe him. What he intends to do. And by whom. He is the savior of sinners. He isn't the savior of other people. It's so crucial that you and I understand that we are sinners needing a Savior. If you are a Christian who doesn't need a Savior, then you're not a Christian. 
If you're a person who does not need saving from your sin, you don't need the Lord Jesus. Do you know a sinner who needs salvation from their sin? Do you know one? And I hope, I hope what you can say in your hearts is, yes, I know, and it's me. I'm a sinner who needs salvation from my sin. Your snarky mouth, your, your private greediness and, 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 and lustings and covetings and self-pityings. There's so many ways that we evidence our sin from day to day and week to week in the Lord Jesus. His name means He will save His people from their sin. They must know. Men must know. Women must know. Children must know. There's a Savior that has been sent. The Lord Jesus was prophesied by Isaiah that He would be born of a virgin. He would save His people from their sin. You must know this Jesus. And then... Matthew, in the recording of this, when he writes it, he tells us what the name means. Isaiah said his name will be called Emmanuel. Matthew wanted to be sure you knew Emmanuel means God with us. Who is he? What is his mission? His mission is to save his people from their sins. Who is he? He is God. God with us. Us, the birth of the Lord Jesus is the birth of God into human flesh. It is the great and astonishing miracle of all time. John makes a special testimony about the deity of Jesus when he speaks about the word in the beginning of his gospel. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And what does it say right after that? And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. All things were made through Him. Who made all things? God. God, the Word, made all things. God made everything at the beginning. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's an, it's an amazing statement made about Him there. John establishes the deity of the Lord Jesus in a different way than does Matthew and Luke. He begins with this very unique way of telling us who it was who was God and with God in the beginning. John chapter 1 and verse 14, and that's about 11 verses past what we've just read. Chapter 1 and verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. 
What is his mission? Save his people from their sin. Who is he? He is God incarnate in the flesh. A little later in John chapter 1, I love these words. John the baptizer is there at the river baptizing people and he sees. He sees the Lord Jesus whom he had not met. And he sees the Lord Jesus coming and he says as he's speaking to the crowds who are listening to his preacher, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who this Jesus is. This is whose birth we remember with awe and an amazing affection. Isaiah gives other names to the Messiah. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 9. So this is just a little bit about the prophecy that taught us to expect a sign that is the virgin birth, Jesus and Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6 gives us a few other names of the Son. Isaiah 9 from verse 6, famous words, we've read them already. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now, there's a lot buried in that phrase there, a son given. Why is there a son, not a son born in that phrase, this is a given son. That means somebody is giving a son. Who is giving the son? God the Father is giving God the Son in the flesh. A son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. This son's shoulder will bear the government and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. What's that next one say? Mighty God. What's the one after that say? Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The birth of this child is the God that John speaks about at the opening of his gospel. This child is God in the flesh. He was foretold in Isaiah 7. He was foretold in Isaiah 9. What is it? It's so interesting. His name. His name shall be called. And in how many names does it list? I love that. The God that Moses speaks about in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is the same God. In John chapter 1 is the same mighty God spoken of in Isaiah chapter 9. The prophet said this child should be known by all of these different names. Mighty God, everlasting Father. He is the all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite 
birthed by the finite creature of God's own creation, Mary. The infinite is birthed by the finite. The child is God, the Savior, foretold by Isaiah and reported to us by these gospel writers. John has one more very interesting testimony to the deity of the Lord Jesus that's similar to these ones. John says in chapter 14 from verse 5, there's an interesting discussion taking place between three people. Thomas says to the Lord Jesus, after the Lord Jesus had confused them, which he did often, they would often listen and not quite understand what he was saying. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how we can know the way. Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now listen to what he says carefully. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Are you guys following what he's telling them? He's telling them he is God. He's saying From now on you know Him and have seen Him. And then listen, just in case this isn't quite clear enough, verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, listen carefully. These are stunning, huge statements by the Messiah. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? God is a a singular being. And this being is Father and Son and Spirit. Three persons in one being. The Lord Jesus isn't sort of God. The Lord Jesus is God and these testimonies, these these witnesses I've shown you here in the scriptures are testimony to his deity. Who is he and what did he come to do? He came to save sinners from their sin. He's God born in the flesh. This time of year we we can tend to be a little bit shallow and thinking more maybe about gifts and the, and the busyness and the and the, and the commerce of it all. But this is truly a time of year for us to meditate on who he really is and what he came to do. Lord Jesus went to the cross in a man's body. God in the flesh went to the cross so that a sinner's death could be born by God in the flesh. So that the worth of that death could be exchanged for all who had put their faith in Him and trust in God's forgiveness of sin by the blood of that shed Messiah, Lamb. 
The Savior came to bear the sins of sinners who need a Savior. And so this is what we do. Every year, in a month that Jesus was not born in, Jesus wasn't born in December. Every year we remember the the birth of this one who was foretold by the prophets. We remember the, the miracles and the prophecies fulfilled surrounding his arrival and in his life and his preaching and his death and his resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the final testimony during his life given to men by which they might know and trust that he is indeed the promised Son of God, who he himself said he would rise again the third day. What a great time of year for us to remember God's generosity, God's love and kindness in making a promise to men to save men by a Savior who would die in their place. I hope you guys have a great uh, evening, a great day tomorrow, remembering this Messiah and the Savior. Go back into one of these texts, Matthew or Luke, and read it together with your family or, or, or read it to yourself. And remind yourself of what God had intended to do and what He's done. And then finally, I want you to remember this. The Lord Jesus promised He would come again. The Lord Jesus promised he would come again. Nell's favorite verse that she shared with us a couple times was when the Lord says, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if it were not so, I would not have said it. I will come back and take you to be with myself is what the Lord Jesus said. The Lord Jesus comes again. He comes again to bring his people to be with him forever. And as, as, as sure as he came, as sure as he was born in Bethlehem, as sure as he was God crucified on the cross, so we are also confident that he comes again. He comes to a people who are waiting eagerly for his return, to a people who love and look forward to his return. Teach yourself Teach yourself, train yourself, discipline yourself to look forward to his coming and to not be distracted by the, by the circumstances and the little shiny objects of this world. Don't let Satan in this world distract you from what is sure to come when he comes again. May this be a great time of us remembering God's faithfulness to keep his promises. Let's just pray together and I hope you guys have a great, um, great afternoon and, and, and tomorrow off. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word that has revealed these great things to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you, God, took on flesh, lived the life of a man without sin, and really were humbled, leaving heaven's glory and living among men and women who disgraced you and mocked you. Oh God, none of us is worthy of your love and attention, but we thank you and praise you that you sent the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, we do worship and love you. In the name of Christ the Savior we pray. Amen.